Welcome back, everyone, to a Silver Screen and Roll podcast. Um, I don't know if if this show has a name, but I'm in it, which is reason enough to listen for it. And and if that doesn't do it for you, uh, our own Harrison Fagan, who writes at SilverScreenAndRoll.com and is the site manager there, joins me today. Harrison, how are you doing today, given um, how emotional things were this morning? I I am doing all right, Christian Rivas, who did not introduce himself. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, I mean, I would imagine at this point, the people on the feed generally yeah. know who you are versus like who I am and versus who everyone else is. But <laughs> by voice, but just wanted to make sure that we threw your name in there. Yeah. I, I'm doing all right. This morning was very, very emotional. It has been a long day. I was up at, I believe, five o'clock to get ready to head into downtown L.A. for this. Um, so I was tired and it's just like, you know, like I I heard stories of like arena workers that had to be there at three o'clock to start getting this thing ready, which is just, I mean, like if you're listening to this podcast, you know what we're talking about. The celebration of life for Kobe and Gianna Bryant, uh, happened today as of when we're recording this yesterday, by the time most of you are probably listening to it. And that was, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I was in the building, so I probably have a little bit of a different perspective than you, but like, I feel like that was honestly one of the most emotional and like, uh, like emotionally exhausting things that I've ever been a part of, um, just being in the building for. And it was just like, like, it was just collective grief on a scale that I'm not sure that I've been around. I guess I was not at the first game after Kobe, you know, passed away and you were. And so I guess like, I don't know how we would compare the two, but like for me, the, it, it was just insane to see how many Lakers fans there were, how many people were just openly weeping throughout this. And yeah. then, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It was just like, there were so many people there and just all grieving together. And I've never experienced anything like it. Yeah. And that's uh, cause I was lucky enough to be in the building for, for their first game back. And it was one of those things. Um, I, I think it was only, you know, no, no, no. I was going to say it was my, my second game being credentialed uh, at a Lakers game, but it was actually my first game. I was like, man, I really don't want to be the guy that's known like for crying in the press box. But genuinely, <laughs> everybody was crying in the press box. Yeah, day. I feel like that's like one game where you could like, like you could get away with uh, breaking uh, journalism rules a little bit. Although I don't even know how hard and fast of a journalism rule it is, like that you can't cry if someone died. You know? Yeah, like, <laughs> I was gonna say like. Journalists aren't robots. I mean, yeah, close, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, no offense, but no, it's okay. I just it took me a second to process that that was a burn of me. I did not. I it took me. I, I mean, it's not, not, it's not so much a burn. Like, uh, Kawhi got call, called a cyborg the other day, and he didn't know what that meant, and that's a little bit what it reminded me of me calling <laughs> a robot and then it not resonating in your programming. It so. did not compute. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that was definitely a really emotional day and God, I can't even, I can't even imagine being there though. Cause that day, the only person that gave a speech was LeBron James and his speech was, was incredible. The fact that he even spoke at all was incredible. Um, I was, I was blown away that he decided to, to speak out there. I did, I did not expect it. I didn't think that it was fair to expect anyone to go out and like address the crowd with more than like, Hey, like this is going to be an emotional night for all of us. We're going to really try and go out there and honor Kobe or something like that. Like I thought it was going to be really basic and brief and for him to just really open his heart like that was incredible. Yeah. And I, I was surprised LeBron spoke that day. I think the same way many people were surprised that, uh, Vanessa Bryant spoke today when she got up, I think I was, you know, being in the building for that game. I think I kind of already went through my grieving process. Obviously hearing people, everybody talk was really sad. Uh, but seeing Vanessa Bryant walk up and the strength it took for her to talk about not just Kobe, but her daughter was unlike anything I've, I've ever seen before. Yeah, I just I don't even know if there's anything that you could compare that to like in like other than, you know, losing family me- like other people right. losing family members and, you know, having to go talk at funerals because sadly, like that's something that happens, you know, in the world like um, but having to address it's different addressing, I think, like close friends and family than, you know, a 18,000 people capacity arena um, and 
I had genuinely, I'm not sure if I'd ever heard her speak before today and the strength and just like, like grace, honestly, that she showed, like not only like you could tell she was struggling and like try like trying not to cry too much and trying to just make it through what she had to say about, you know, Kobe and Gianna, but like just to have the strength to like go and like, you know, make jokes about them and talk about like the fun times too, while you're going through, like, I I cannot even imagine the pain. Um, and like it it really, um, warmed my heart and uh, it made me start crying a little bit when the crowd started chanting Kobe for her in the exact same way. And in the exact same building that they would, if Kobe was struggling to try and help him get through it and to try and cheer him on and bring him up, um, and to do the same thing for her and really try to help her get through it. And, you know, for Michael Jordan to come up there and help her down from the stage, I thought was just like an incredible gesture. And like, it was amazing how the entire, like not just NBA community, but like just this entire community of like famous people who you could tell, like Kobe just meant a lot to whether they knew him super well or not. Like I was not expecting Beyonce to come out and perform as like a surprise performer, like Christina Aguilera, Alicia Keys to come and just play the piano too. Like um, it it just shows how much he meant to so many people, not just in basketball, but in entertainment and in Los Angeles and around the world. And, you know, I thought you made a really good point before we came on the air that like, the like very few people do this as well as the Lakers like memorialize and commemorate these huge moments and tell these stories really really well and I thought Mm -hmm. they and the Bryant family and everyone else involved did a great job of that and I think some of that just speaks to the city like this is Los Angeles and it's the city of stars and it's a city of a lot of talented storytellers and talented performers and people and it just really came together around Kobe today And Gianna and like, you know, just the amount of people that went up and spoke about her as well. I was really heartened by like that she got just as much, if not more of a spotlight at times than he did. I wasn't sure what to expect on that front, but I thought that they just showed a ton of respect for everyone to initially basically bring people out just to talk about her first. I thought was like a really touching gesture and like really, I I think, hit the right notes. Yeah. And that's what I was just about to say is that. As many people came out and and spoke on Kobe's behalf, whether it be, you know, Michael Jordan or Shaq, um, the people that came out for Gianna, I thought was really touching because uh, we'll have Mirren Fader of, of Bleacher Report, who wrote a really touching story on Gianna Bryan on later in the show. But um, you're getting to we probably hear... should have led with that up front. I'm realizing now <laughs> in the intro. That was a mistake. There are probably people that clicked on this podcast that were very confused for the first eight minutes and twenty four seconds or so. Listen, um, man, we're still trying to we're still trying to work it out. This is Harrison and I's I think second show, just him and I. We did one more with Anthony, but uh, we're still we're still working out the kinks. Yeah, uh, uh, both of them, mo- uh, I, like somewhat sadly, uh, I like uh, memorializing Kobe. We need to get together one week and just when something really sad does not happen. Yes, maybe I agree. next week. <laughs> but uh, we will have Mirren F- Mir- Fader of Bleacher Report on later in the show uh, to talk about Gianna Bryant. But um, the the people that talked about Gianna Bryant at the memorial, I think, gave people a side of Gianna Bryant that they haven't seen, which is just to say a side of Gianna Bryant, because, I mean, she was a young girl still in junior high school. I mean, what what could you possibly know about somebody that isn't like a celebrity? All we knew was that she was the daughter that played basketball and that Kobe was around. And like, you know, we talked about this with her, but like she is the only person, to my knowledge, that profiled Gianna in any depth at all. Like that did, you know, like like with the depth and I think like amount of effort that something like this deserves, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's one thing to just like write and mention. And like, there are other people that have done good stories on like the overall impact, but I'm talking about strictly profiling, like getting to know who she was as a person. Right. Like I think Mirren did by far the best job and really like the most thorough and only person to really approach it that way, where it was more than just like stuff that was publicly available. It was like actually firsthand reporting on what she was like. And the memorial gave us a sense of that 
as well. Like Mirren's profile came out on Sunday, the Memorial today, like all these stories about Gianna that were just incredible. And like now I feel like it's someone I knew and it, it just, it made things sad all over again, I think. Yeah. I, and hearing like, just hearing the personal accounts of, of people that were close to them, like Michael Jordan, for example, not exactly known for like taking players of the next generation or even his generation under his wing. I, mean, like he, I think he was irritated that Kobe kind of forced him to. And then like he and then he grew to like him. He's like, ah, so this is what having someone you care about is like. Yeah, he's like, this is what it's like talking to other people. I yeah. hate it. I'm never going to do it again. But with with this one person. I'm going to I'm going to make it a really special relationship. And I knew that you know they had an older brother little brother relationship the same way, you know, or at least I thought the same way like a LeBron James and a Jason Tatum or really LeBron James and anybody <laughs> but just him and Kobe Bryant had a really good relationship. Yeah, like and it was I think I think they were, I, I mean, I, we said this in your story that you wrote about the, these remarks, but like, I, I think that they were far closer than anyone really knew from the outside. Like, like, it's like you said, we knew that they interacted. There are photos of them together. We knew about the anecdotes about Kobe, you know, hitting up, up for tips in the middle of games, like that they were playing against each other because he so idolized Michael Jordan. Like we knew that Kobe had patterned his entire game after Michael Jordan. Like there are videos showing them just back to back doing the same moves, just Kobe basically carbon copying his footwork and all of that stuff like and like but i i had no idea that they talked as much as they did and um like you know to the level that mj kind of revealed today to like you know hilariously like while saying he realizes that now he's going to get crying jordan memed again i think he has <laughs> earned us no longer crying jordan memeing people like yeah. i think i think we have to retire it now out of respect because not only did he cry again and he was willing to do that in person because almost every single star there, NBA star at least, was wearing sunglasses. For that right. exact reason, in, in my head is what I was thinking. They don't want to get crying Jordan memed. And then for him to walk up there and cry again, I think we got to retire it. We need to find, like, we need to start doing, like, you know, like, Paul Pierce on the ground in the finals memeing. Like, if you lose, <laughs> like, you take the photo of Paul Pierce getting carried out only to walk back out, you know, under his own power 20 minutes later, like that face is the new crying Jordan meme. I think we could propose this right now. The uh, um, day that we, we really just need to hang that one up in the rafters, the yeah. crying Jordan meme, like just put it next to the James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, everybody else. Just just hang that one right there. Cause put it I mean, over it the did... Clippers banners. Oh, wait, they don't have any. <laughs> I think Grant did that while he was with Silver Screen and Roll still. Grant Goldberg. Yeah. The crying George memes over uh, the Clippers Grant, banner. So. Grant plagiarized again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's more meta than Michael Jordan referencing his own meme. Yeah, uh, that was that was a very deep cut. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, I mean, as much as we're laughing now, I, I think that, like, honestly, that goes to how many funny stories they told us about today and how like I almost felt like and I wrote this that like Vanessa coming out and cracking jokes and telling us about like how Kobe was the most valuable uh, girl dad because he lived in a house with like five women and uh, never forgot to put the seat back down and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I think that her making these little funny references and remarks, like it almost gave everyone permission to smile and laugh again. Not that like every, not that Los Angeles, like everybody was walking around crying for the last month or anything like that. But there yeah. was this like almost weird feeling of, of, you know, like, he died like how do we care about basketball again how do we care about all this other stuff and i think her coming out and just being so strong and making all these jokes like kind of gave everyone permission to move on to the next stage of just fond remembrances yeah and and it's a, it was a type of stories too like i the i believe he was he uh vanessa vanessa talked about you know kobe bryant being somebody that would sing along to Disney princess movies and you know just spend the whole day dancing and singing away it's just like yeah nobody Kobe's not going to admit that 
like the, such a only... different side of him than we've ever heard about before. Like Shaq told stories like that we expected to hear about Kobe, like that there was a uh, that, you know, he tried to tell Kobe that there was no I in team and Kobe said, yeah, but there's an M.E. in there. <laughs> Which, yeah, it is. I we've we've heard a few like really on brand Kobe stories within the last few days. I, I think Kawhi Leonard talked about the other day after the the all star game told a story about how Kobe Bryant had asked him how many field goal attempts, like his career high for field goal attempts in a game. And Kawhi was like, I don't know. I think shot like maybe 18 before. And Kobe's like, ask me how, how high mine is. He's like, how high? He's like, I think uh, 47. <laughs> and Kawhi's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I guess he was, he thought about that when um, he was gunning for the MVP. So Shout out to Kawhi. I mean, no better way to honor Kobe on the basketball court. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, I think overall, I, I I know a lot of people, including including our friend Pete uh, Zayas, said he wasn't going to watch it, but he's glad he did. And I think that's uh, the feeling a lot of people left with is, um, you know, obviously everybody's going to take their own time to grieve, but this really did feel like, the like closing of a chapter like the official memorial yeah i I think this was the catharsis part where everybody just got to share stories and cry and laugh and do it all together as like as a group and now like you know move on i think is the wrong word but like we all get to go to exactly like you said the next stage yeah for sure sorry ground groundbreaking analysis (laughs) Yeah, this has been two bloggers telling you how to grieve. Um, on our next segment, <laughs> we are going to have two bloggers interview an actually like really good and talented writer like, who really, is like, really good. Yeah, like actually like an a- actual expert of craft and not just of like using you know CMS and like blogging and writing <laughs> a lot. Uh, Mirren Fader of Bleacher Report, who is. Like, I can say this now because she's not here, and, like, I will, you'll hear in my lead-in in the next segment, I deliberately, like, praised the hell out of her and then moved into my first question so that she couldn't deflect it, but she is genuinely, like, probably the most talented writer about sports right now, and I mean that with all due respect to everyone else, just, like, Absolutely. in terms of profiling people, like, there, I, I really don't think there's anyone that does it better. And so I was really excited to be able to get her on to talk about her um, just like incredible profile of Gianna. If you haven't read it already, it's on Bleacher Report. You should be able to find it very easily. It will be in the post of this podcast. Um, and so, yeah, we will uh, go ahead and throw to that now. All right. So now we are joined by Mirren Fader of Bleacher Report, who wrote an like – I feel like there's not a descriptor that I can use that's not underselling it. Like, I was going to say excellent, but that just makes it sound like, you know, it was just, like, pretty good or whatever. Like, this is honestly one of the best profiles I think that I've read, especially of something so tragic under the circumstances. Uh, Mirren, you wrote about Gianna Bryant on Sunday. Today is Monday as we were recording this. They just had, you know, the really heartfelt memorial to her and Kobe And uh, first of all, welcome to the show and thank you for coming on. And I guess like my first question is just like, you know, based on your reporting, like if you had to tell someone in like less than, you know, two minutes or something, like who was Gianna Bryant? Like, what would you say after going through all of this? Well, thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me on. I mean, I think the the best thing you can say about her is that she was in, she was a competitor. So there's one anecdote in the story where um, they were up by 50 and finally a girl on the other team makes a free throw and one of Gigi's teammates claps and Gigi hits her and says, don't clap for them. <laughs> at, at, at the same time, Gigi is the person that is after the game. She's befriending her opponents and she's a very sweet girl and she's friends with everyone. So you've got these two sides to her very much a competitor and very much a sweet girl and and that's really who she was that was the most like she is definitely kobe's child story i have ever read (laughs) from anyone who's written anything about her in the aftermath i'm like she got mad at someone for cheering for the other team when they were up by 50 like yep all right she really was kobe's daughter like she definitely like 1000 because i could picture him doing something like that in a blowout too 
Oh, yeah. And, and you can't teach that. Right. And I think that's the most fascinating part is that that's inherent in her. She just had this fire inside of her and she wasn't the tallest girl, um, but she just had a motor and a drive and a determination. And um, she told Kobe, I want the best teams at our tournaments. Like, I want you to bring the girls from Texas. So she was the one driving this. Um, I, I guess the other question that I wanted to ask you was like, so this was something that, you know, in the coverage of the aftermath that I really did feel like there were a lot of times where she was a, she was kind of a footnote and like, for lack of a better term, like it was, you know, Kobe Bryant died here, are all these things about him. Oh, by the way, also his daughter. And then also like seven other names, if they even got named and like, look, look, like I'm not going to act high and mighty about it. Some of our stories just for brevity's sake, were guilty of this too. But I, I think, so this isn't like an overall media criticism. I think that's just kind of how it works. But I, I wanted to ask you like why you felt like this was a specific story, like that was important to you and why you wanted to tell it because I felt the ex the exact same way that you did I felt like everything I read about her was always her in relation to Kobe yes he did teach her the game but all you saw was Kobe's daughter Kobe's daughter Kobe's daughter him talking to her but there was a whole narrative about her that wasn't out there which is she's the one talking to him she's the one that has opinions I wanted to center her I wanted that girl's story to be told because her story matters too um, she was a girl so deeply in love with basketball and I used to be a girl so deeply in love with basketball. And I just think it's a very specific feeling and emotion to love basketball as a young girl. And there were so many girls that were touched by Gigi and I just felt like their story was being put to the side. So I wanted to do my best to, you know, honor her spirit. Who was she beyond? She played for her dad. You know, what, what hobbies did she have? What food did she like? What kind of friend was she? Who was she? Yeah, and and uh, Mirren, from from reading your story, that's not something like uh, I gathered while reading it, and uh, it's something that stood out to me is it seemed like Gigi would have loved her dad and his passion and knowledge for the game, uh, even if he didn't have the you know twenty years experience in the NBA, five NBA championships. Um, from the people you talked to and and the stories of of her and Kobe, did it seem like she? cared at all and I, I don't want to use that word lightly um that that her dad was Kobe Bryant I mean I think that she admired him in his game and she loved being there through his career milestones but it wasn't about that for her it was that he was there for her he, you know in the three years that he coached that team two three years he only missed one practice and that was because he was doing an international tour so he loved coaching them and he was there. And I think what she loved is that he was always there for her. When she said, I want to get shots up, he was there. And I think the two of them really are a silhouette of any dad and daughter that loves this game. You would not know he was Kobe Bryant. He was just a dad with a, there's an image of him in the piece with a, a ball bag around his shoulders and her coming out in her slides like a baller, you know, they were a father <laughs> and daughter. The only thing different is that they happen to be famous. Yeah, and I, I think that that's also what what stood out to me today at the memorial um, when Gino was talking is is I feel like G, uh, Kobe had a, a similar sentiment towards Gianna in the sense that he didn't want to be the center of attention every time she was around. And in reading her story, it sounds like towards the end uh, there it, it it wasn't just Kobe. I mean, people were genuinely interested in in Gianna as as a prospect, and I know a lot of people were banking on her being you know, the future of women's basketball. She was really talented. That's the thing. I think some people are, are saying right now, which is just horrible comments. Oh, she's only getting attention because her dad was famous. The truth is she was, she was really one of the top shooters in Southern California. Like she expanded her range. Um, she was well-respected. She could run an offense and she was a great defender. I mean, she loved hounding girls on the press. Um, she had really long arms. I do think Gigi would have gone far in her career, not not because, you know, I anyone can predict the future and, you know, we think we're seeing the next Tarazi, but what it was is a willingness to work and a willingness to improve. And you can't teach passion and desire, and she had those things. 
the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, Mirren, just going back to when, like you said, you know, like that, like you talked about that you were a girl who grew up loving the game. I, you played in college, like, you know, you're someone who has like, you know, gone through, I mean, maybe not uh, Gianna's journey, you know, the exact same way that she did, but like you have gone through like growing up as a girl who really loves basketball and like wants to be in the gym and playing all the time. And like, I guess just to tie, like when I was reading this story, it had a really interesting structure where it was almost just kind of bouncing around anecdotes. There weren't a whole lot of like transitions. It was just kind of like, here's the story, here's the story, here's the story. And I don't know if this is a little bit of like a contrived or stretched like comparison, but it almost felt like kind of the narrative version of dribbling a basketball around a little bit. And I guess I was just curious as a writing nerd, like how you how you decided to just like let all of these anecdotes just basically speak for themselves. Yeah, I love that question. And I, I definitely did want to sort of have that kind of dribbling pace, like you said, that that frenetic energy. But the main reason why I chose this structure was because I wanted the structure to mirror the content. So form mirroring content, meaning this is about grief, right? And the way that grief works is that it's random and it seizes you at any point in your day. You might think of a memory and then go on about your day and then all of a sudden you're doing something else and a new memory hits you and it hurts all over again and it just stabs you in your heart. So I wanted the structure to do the same thing that grief does in our minds. Um, and so that's why you see them being very brief and they don't go in chronological order. It shows the randomness of the hurt and it shows the randomness of the memories. I think that a lot of sports writing uses grief as a crutch and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to write a story about, oh, here's a bunch of 12 year olds crying. This is so sad. We lost this girl. I wanted the through line of the piece not to be grief, but to be love. And so the only way I knew how to do that was to give you these anecdotes in the first person, in the present tense, to make you feel like she was still here. I'm trying to honor her spirit in, in the present tense. You know, it's not leading up to her inevitable death. You want to, when you do an obituary, you know, you want this spirit to live on. You want people to feel like they know her. So there's an immediacy in these vignettes and um, the ellipses cause you to pause. They're so emotional, each memory. And so after you go through them, I want you to sit and pause before taking the next breath and going to the next section. Well, I think you definitely achieved all of that. Like, I do feel like between reading your story yesterday and then hearing some of the stories at the memorial today, I feel like I have, like, a far better sense of who she was as a person. I think, obviously, like, she was actually the most front-facing daughter, like, the one that I think most people had the best sense of because she was the one that Kobe coached. She was showing up with him to games and whatever, but just, like, you really did achieve that through your piece. And I, I think, like, giving people, I think, a sense of who she was. Like, like a, lo a lot of the, I really, really, like, if you have, if you are listening this far and you have not read it yet, I would very much encourage everyone to go to Mirren's profile on Twitter. Like, she's posted it there a bunch. Um, I, I do want to go back really quickly to something that you said about, like, not wanting it to just be a bunch of sad 12-year-olds and things like that. And I think that, like, there are all kinds of like ethical issues to navigate with a story like this where like, you know, like it, it, just anytime you're having to go interview kids like who are legally minors, like that can be tough in some situations, especially ones as young as 12. And I guess just like, like how hard was it for you to get people to talk, to like convince them that, you know, like it was fine to let you talk to their kids and like, like that you just wanted to tell this story in this way. And like, how difficult was that reporting process? It was extremely difficult. You know, not only was this the toughest story I've ever written, it's the toughest story I've ever reported. Um, and it's because people inherently did not want to talk. Um, so I miraculously somehow got 30, but there were 30 people that turned me down. So, I mean, it was really hard. And I think the way to do it is to be responsible about it and be upfront. I was very honest from the get-go. I was just like, I know I'm the last person you want to talk to. I know that you are grieving right now and I want to give you that space. At the same time, I just wanted to reach out. And if you want to talk to me, great. And if you don't, I totally understand. Um, and, and doing it in a way where you're reaching out to the parents and saying, hey, I want you to be present during this interview. Um, and a lot of it was my connections um, as a basketball player. There's people in the community still coaching that um, were around when I was there. And so I had a sense of the lay of the land and who to contact. But it was very hard. And, you know, 
it's hard when you're interviewing somebody and somebody starts crying. That is a very difficult experience. But I tell you what did happen is midway through these conversations, some lasting hours, people would stop crying and they would start laughing at, you know, funny memories and, and it made them feel better to talk. It, when you write an obituary, it's almost like giving people therapy in a weird sense. And um, I found that as I went on in my reporting, people were really into the idea of making sure we kept her memory and spirit alive. Well, when you were reporting or when were you when you were writing the story, um, did, did the tone of the story or the story you were trying to tell or how you were trying to tell it evolve at all? I think um, tone was the thing that I was most concerned about, um, sort of like what I was touching on earlier about grief. But the beginning of the lead, um, the something magical happens when a girl touches a basketball. I wrote that on the plane ride home from I was in Miami reporting and I just was like free writing and flowing and once I had that I felt like I knew my tone I felt like I knew the tone was um it, it was just situating her in a specific time and place that honored that love that's what I wanted you to know about her it's that yeah she was talented yeah she was smart yeah she was good but really she was loved and she gave off love and I think that I wanted to start the piece like that and end the piece like that and I and I really enjoyed that part specifically, just because I I think it's so important to have um, you know somebody that that's been in those shoes, and and that's what I really liked about uh, Diana Taurasi's speech at the memorial today is putting herself in in the shoes of Gianna, and when she fell in love with basketball and watching Kobe Bryant. Um, so I I really enjoyed the the way it opened. Um, I think establishes credibility a bit. I know, which isn't, you know, on the forefront of anybody's mind when you're writing a story as, as tragic as this, but uh, I, I do think it added value in a big way. And uh, I, I think you deserve credit for that. I really appreciate it. It's something I think about when I think about having women on staff. So, you know, um, I'm still one of the only women in locker rooms, you know, NBA locker rooms when I go. And I just think of this story and I just think how important it was that I had that lens and that view, you know, not saying that a man couldn't have written it because he could have absolutely and done a yeah. fantastic job at, at that. But, um, you know, a woman's lens, it's not it's not better. It's just different. And I just felt like I was writing from a very specific place in my heart that I knew and trusted for so many years. Yeah, I mean, like, I think all of that is really, really important. I think like that highlights like the important importance of diversity in newsroom, like in newsrooms, not just from a gender perspective, but from like a race, like all like all of those perspectives. Um, uh, the, the only other thing like this is a really awkward segue, but uh, um, I, I think the the other thing that I wanted to make sure that we asked you because we're running up, but we're, we're starting to get closer to uh, to like how much time we have you for was um, I wanted to make sure that we gave you time to talk about like there are a ton of fantastic stories in here throughout your reporting. But like the thing that I always want to know is like, were there any that you were like in love with that just didn't fit or that just couldn't make the final story or like any really good ones that maybe just didn't fit the exact tone that you were going for, but that, you know, you can share now. Yeah, I love that question. Um, one was cut that I was really in love with, not because it was the greatest one ever. I just thought it showed a bit about her personality, but my editor didn't think it was as strong. But, you know, you be the judge. <laughs> love my we, editor, by the way. We Shout always <laughs> we always have those disputes. I think that's like the eternal writer-editor relationship. Yes. I can Shout confirm. Shout <laughs> My editor is amazing, Jake Leonard. Um, I, I love him. He's fantastic. But um, yeah, so one of the anecdotes was that, so Gigi loved Katie Lou Samuelson because she played at UConn, and that was Gigi's favorite player growing up. And Russ Davis, the coach at Vanguard, coached Katie when she was um, in high school. And so Gigi for months was like dreaming about playing on the EYBL circuit. So it's this like top competitive girls basketball circuit. And Katie had played there. And that's all Gigi's thinking about. Like every day she's like, oh, I can't wait to get on that EYBL circuit so I could be like Katie. And then one day um, Russ Davis, who knows that, hands her an official backpack from the EYBL. And it's like so legit and so official. It's like black and blue. It has like EYBL stitched on. Like it's ex exclusive. Like you cannot buy this anywhere. Gigi is like so excited. She like literally almost explodes. And she's just, she's like near tears. She's just so thankful. And she's like, thank you. And she screams so loud. And it's like 
she's so thrilled. And I just thought it was such a wonderful anecdote because this is a girl that has money for the rest of her life. Her dad could have given her 80 backpacks. He could have given, he could have helped her start a backpack line, but (laughs) she was so grateful to have this backpack because it meant so much because the backpack got her one step closer to her dream and her favorite WNBA players. And I just thought that was, you know, such a moment that again, you can only understand if you're a young girl Hooper to have the official swag is like the most amazing thing ever. And you can't, you don't appreciate that unless you're a Hooper. Yeah, I th- I th- that actually just reminded me of, I-, I think probably my favorite anecdote in the piece was, it was along a similar lines. She went to, I believe it was a UConn game, and I think it was in the final four, I want to say, and they lost. A- am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, that's uh, correct. Okay. And uh, and she was crying in the car, um, just saying basically that like this was never going to happen when she got there, as if this <laughs> was like a like predestined, like predetermined thing. It was already going to happen for her at like age. Like, what was she probably like 11, 12, 13 like, at that point? Um, and I was just curious, like, how do you even hear about that? Like, I mean, you may not be able to tell me, but like, like it was I felt like you were in the car for that one. Yeah, that I can't tell you who. um, But yeah, that person shared that anecdote with me. And, um, you know, I, that was my favorite anecdote, not just because it was sure that she was going to get there. It's that a loss like that, you know, a team losing that she is not part of that affects her to such a degree that she is like, almost like not just upset, she is like, torn up I mean she is like so angry it's it's affected her emotionally to the point of like just sheer rage and I thought that that showed what a competitor she is you know and um and how much she loved UConn you know it's one thing to say like she loved UConn and then it's another thing to like be in the car and and have a story like that to show you know not tell but like show and that that's what I wanted to do and that's goes back to your earlier question about structure like I wanted you to feel like you were in the car. I wanted the vignettes to feel very immediate. Mission accomplished, um, I would <laughs> say. Uh, Christian, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask before we uh, let Mirren go? Uh, no. Uh, if you can teach me how to write, I mean, that's really the only uh, question I have. But no, I, I mean, genuinely, um, I, I really enjoyed that story and, and the story you, the stories you've written leading up to this. I mean, your profile on LaMelo Ball, uh, both now, are as good of a look uh, of a look in, inside somebody that's, you know, otherwise a, a pretty closed off person that I've that I've ever seen. So uh, support Mirren's work always like blind retweet if you have to. <laughs> that's what I do most of the time. Um, well, and, you're admitting uh, that you don't read it. No, no, no. I, uh, I don't know. I think that's what you just said. I think most of the time you blind retweet it. Um, <laughs> all right, well, Mirren, I read all of your work, and I'm sorry that you're in here. Um, is there anything else besides, you know, his fake friendship that you wanted to touch on that we did not touch on already? Oh, my gosh. No, I just want to thank you both for, you know, plugging my work and reading my work. And anyone who read this story, I got a lot of messages saying, this is really hard. I can't read it right now, which I totally understand. So just wanted to say thank you for people, you know, reading my work. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was incredible. It deserves all the praise that it's gotten. Um, anyway, so this is this has been Mirren Fader of Bleacher Report. Mirren, where can people find you? And is there anything else that you like coming up that you can tell us about, like that you want to plug real quick before we uh, log off here? Yes, I have an NBA feature next week. Um, so I hope you will read that. Um, been working on it since December. Um, so yeah, I hope people read that. And I'm just at Mirren Fader, uh, last name F-A-D-E-R on Twitter. All right. Well, I will read it. I can't. I'll let you know if Christian actually reads it. I will. I always read them. It's just not immediately when it's tweeted. Uh, that was a nice save. You had like two minutes to come up with that. I respect, I respect it. All right, Mirren, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, uh, you know, it, it, if this mysterious NBA player is on the Lakers, then uh, you may be back on the pod pretty soon. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're heading towards the end of the show here, Harrison. I know. Um, it's uh, it's sad. You wanna, if you could, you could record with me forever. But um, I do have other obligations. Um, th- the night we're recording this is Bachelor Night, and uh, Pilot Pete is gonna go to the Fantasy Suites today. So that's important to me. It doesn't have to be important to you or anybody listening. But uh, I do have to go. 
Uh, but before we go, <laughs> I think it's important. <laughs> it was really important for people to know that that's why this podcast, that they don't know when is being recorded, is ending. Um, yeah, this has been Bachelor Talk on uh, Silver Screen <laughs> Roll. Uh, but it, before we go, I think I think it is uh, important to talk about some basketball uh, as much as I'd like to talk about The Bachelor. Uh, the Lakers play again on Tuesday against the New Orleans Pelicans, who, as of the, the day we're recording this, are 3.5 games. You call me a fool, but that doesn't scare me very much. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I saw you tweet this the other day that like it would be a really fun sweep. And I saw some Pelicans fans like take exception to that. And it's like, well, okay, the beat the Lakers, you know, like <laughs> beat them once during the regular season. And I know everybody's going to throw that back at me about how the Lakers the haven't beaten the Clippers yet. Yeah. But, you know, like, hey, the Clippers fans are justified in saying that if like they want to, you know, if Clippers fans want to predict a sweep against the Lakers, then, you know, like may God have mercy on their soul. Um <laughs> Um, so like, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about this game a little bit just because it's another, you know, AD return game, even though he's already played them twice, once in New Orleans, once at home. But like, I I feel like for the next while, this is always going to be a big game. And I think this time it's more notable just because like Zion had not been birthed into the NBA yet as of the last times these teams played. And like, I'm excited to see if that gives the Pelicans like a little bit of extra juice, um, and, you know, if he probably is going to be a little bit more amped up, you know, on the Lakers stage, his first game against the Lakers in L.A., you know, playing against the guy that basically said, like, I don't want to play with this team or this organization or with you, even if yeah. it's probably, you know, A.D. surely didn't mean anything against Zion by wanting out. But, like, also all great players find slights in everything. And, like, I think Zion is probably no different in that. And, like, I think this is going to be a really fun game. Yeah, didn't AD outright say that him and Zion don't have a great relationship because of, like, the fallout and everything that happened in New Orleans? I think he alluded to that. I don't know that he, like, explicitly said it, but, yeah, I think he definitely, like, hinted strongly at it. I I am looking forward to tomorrow, obviously, because Zion, he's so, so good. Like, he's not supposed to be as good as he is right now. Uh, But even more than that, it, tomorrow could very well be Marquise Morris's debut for the Lakers. Oh, this is true. I forgot about that. And I think the Pelicans are an especially good first test for him and Kuzma specifically with, with that second unit. Um, because the Pelicans have good size at the forward position. Uh, they don't have a ton of depth that small forward. I think it's just like Brandon Ingram and Etwan Moore. Um, and, and a few other guys, I think Josh Hart plays some time there, but the point is at that four spot, Marquise Morris is going to have some possessions defending the likes of Dion, Zion Williamson, Dion, <laughs> uh, Nicolo Melli, uh, Derek favors, just, you know, good size of that position. And I think obviously, you know, pinning up, pinning up, pinning him up against Zion and saying, well, he, Zion dropped 31 points on him. I guess Marquise Morris is an absolute like failure of a signing. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that, but I think you'll be able to start to see how much he'll be able to to offer on the defensive end and and how good he looks in in lineups with Kyle Kuzma. Um, can't take too much away from the first game, but I I am excited to see that. Yeah, I mean, you always got to keep in mind that it's his first game out. Like it's, a, but you know, sometimes we see that go the other way. Like Tyson Chandler's first couple games for the Lakers, <laughs> like he was reinvigorated just by playing for a team that like mattered and had expectations. And so, right. I think if you want to be optimistic about this move, it's that you'll get a similar effect with Morris. And I wanted to ask you because you've done more research into this for a piece on silverscreenroll.com, a Lakers website where you can read <laughs> um, fine coverage of the team in audio, you know, visual and, uh, you know, just re- regular reading forms. The whole um, three yards, as they say. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're versatile here. Um, just like maybe Markeith Morris, although not really. I guess that's a poor cop. <laughs> Um, but you've done a little bit more research on Markeith. Like, where are you at? Because I know you were a pessimist initially, and then it seemed like you kind of came around a little bit once you kind of stopped hating and did some research. And <laughs> yeah. 
Hating uh, is a word. Figured, figured out why, like, this is actually a genius move from Rob Palenka and the Lakers front office. Yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd go that far, but, uh, you know, my logic in the beginning wasn't that Markeith Morris is a bad player. I think he's fine. Um, it's just all the all the points you can make for Markeith Morris, you can make for Jared Dudley. And I know people look at that and laugh just because of the reputation Markeith Morris has for being just like an absolute dog, a tough guy, uh, you know, somebody that played uh, a big role on that Wizards team that was decent for a few years. And I get that. Like, Markeith Morris, I believe, is 29 years old. Well past his prime. I, I get all of those arguments. But the most appo- appealing thing about Markeith Morris's game right now is his three-point shooting. And it's a career year for him. At any point of this season, he could fall back to earth and just not be a good signing. Like, obviously, everybody's hoping that doesn't happen. But as far as reliable three-point shooting, Jared Dudley has the edge, if for no other reason than the fact that he's been a good three-point shooter throughout his career. Now, that being said, if the Lakers are going to depend on Marquise Morris or Jared Dudley to play a big role in the postseason or for the rest of the regular season— you're going to lean on Morris a little bit more because he's more athletic, more mobile, what have you. Um, but the the only the only hole in that argument I see, and it's a very small hole, is if the minutes at the power forward position are going to be taking a hit anyway because the postseason's coming up, and you're going to have Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Kyle Kuzma soak up the minutes at that four position, and whatever minimal playing time there is you're just going to give to Marquise Morris why not just give it to Jared Dudley um and that was always my debate but I see it if the plan is to move Kuzma down a position and they wanted you know a more athletic stretch four that can dive in the pick and roll I get it it's fine um and especially given the options that are out there in the buyout market uh replacing DeMarcus Cousins with somebody that can play this season uh, above all else is a win Yeah, I I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, it's just, it's a live body versus someone that, like, is not, like, just can't play this year. Like, he was never going to play. We we said it every single time the Lakers lied and said that there was a chance he would come back um, this season. I, don't, I mean, sure, theoretically, there's a chance of anything, but, like, it wasn't going to happen. And it's just, like, all you needed was a little bit of an understanding of how ACL injuries work uh, and, like, the fact that he had had three major injuries in his leg to know that he wasn't going to come back. And so, like, I, I'm not... I'm kind of with you on like, I I think Dudley's better than he's given credit for. And I think a big part of why he's not playing more now is just because like he's older, like they probably did not want to use him all up during the regular season. They want him as more of like a break glass in case of emergency option. I I think Morris makes some sense. The thing that honestly makes me most optimistic about the move is just that like Kuz is going to play more three now. And I think at this point in his career, that is just where he's better. I, I actually was... I felt differently like last, even as recently as last season. But I think just what we've watched this season, he doesn't do that well at power forward things. And we saw him take the challenge against Jason Tatum yesterday. And while like that did not always go in Kuz's favor by any means, he certainly seemed more engaged on defense at least. And he was staying within the principles of what the Lakers were trying to do. He was active. Like he was at least trying really hard on every single possession. And I think more set up for success than he is against bigger power forwards and you know maybe playing the wing allows him to get a little bit more ball handling responsibilities Mm -hmm. too like I think that overall this can be a positive change even if it's not necessarily because of like who Markeith Morris is it's just more of like what he kind of allows the Lakers to do and then if his shooting continues then obviously having another spacer is like a great thing for this offense yeah and I I think well the, the biggest question mark for me and I do not mean to be a pessimist, I swear. Um, That's just what you are. You can't help it. <laughs> you I, you tell our friends that you don't read their stuff and you like hate on the Lakers. <laughs> like That's the Christian Rivas brand well, on Silver listen, Screen and Roll podcast. Hear me out. I, I think the thing that I'm most interested in seeing is obviously the minutes have to come from somewhere. Because DeMarcus Cousins wasn't part of the rotation, so it's not like he'll be taking DeMarcus Cousins' minutes. Uh, it's going to have to come from somewhere. And I think ideally... It would come from Rondo, who, like, in spite of playing well these past few games, at least in the regular season, has has been on and off. Playoff Rondo could be a very real thing. 
but I, I mean, for now, I think of the guards, especially if you're going to give Kyle Kuzma more ball handling duties, I think Rondo's the one you take a look at and say, okay, well, maybe we cut five minutes from here and, you know, a few minutes elsewhere. Um, that is what I am most interested in seeing is, is who takes a hit with the minutes, whether it's Rondo or, you know, Kuzma playing 20 minutes a game as opposed to 25 minutes a game. Um, so I think I, I think it is reliant on whose minutes get cut and and how much Vogel trusts those people, specifically Kuzma, in in their new roles. Okay, so we talked about your 2K conspiracy theory, but like let's talk about what's actually going to happen and just like as a podcast, <laughs> wave a fond farewell to Alex Caruso uh, and his playing time um, <laughs> because we all know what's going to happen. Like. Yeah, it's not going to be Rondo. I'm telling like Rondo's going to keep playing. And, uh, you know, I want to believe that you're right. But how this season has gone makes me very anxious that our large balding adult son um, is going to see his playing time cut into as a result of this. He's yeah, played I mean, really well. I just like I have no faith that like that's not where the cut comes from. I, I, I want to be wrong. I very well might be wrong. This might be a little bit too alarmist of a take. But um, I think. It, it, there's a there's at least a decent chance that we see Caruso's minutes cut as well as a result of this, maybe as well as Rondo's, like in addition to, and that's where some of that playing time comes from. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, and I think that's a fair guess just with the way Vogel's talked about Caruso this season. He's very much talked about him in the sense that he's a defensive specialist, and, and he's a he's a secret kind of, weapon to only yeah. Vogel. <laughs> And and Rondo's kind of the primary backup point guard. So I agree. I, I think there is a scenario where they both get their minutes cut. But yeah, Caruso's probably on the outside looking in there. And at that point, like, I guess Troy Daniels and Quinn Cook just get comfortable on the bench and, and you know, keep their seats warm. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping they were comfortable already, but like, you know, maybe they thought like they thought there was a little bit of a chance. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I think we've probably talked enough for this episode. I know you have to go watch The Bachelor. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of where we're at as far as Morris, and um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes tomorrow. Yeah. Do you have any predictions? Not for The Bachelor, but uh, for the game. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any predictions for The Bachelor. I've not watched this season. Um, <laughs> although I've heard like everyone is awful and it's just like like there's no likable contestants or, you know, main character or whatever. Um, that's uh, The Bachelor. You just described every season of The Bachelor. Oh, uh, that's OK. That's a fair point. Um, <laughs> but. As far as predictions for tomorrow, I think the Lakers are going to win. Um, I'm not really like, – like Zion's great, but I think that, you know, I, I just don't think that that's enough as well as the Pelicans are playing. Um, I think they're going to – I think the Lakers are going to take care of business tomorrow, tonight. And I would agree. So uh, thanks for – what if all of our podcasts were like that? We just never disagreed and we're just like, thanks, Harrison. I agree. Yeah, I mean, you just like stumbled upon like my early podcasting career where I was afraid to disagree with anyone. So, um, <laughs> especially Anthony, if yeah. both your early podcasts were with Anthony, I, I think it's just like at I mean, that he's point, a scary person to disagree with. Like he starts yelling, and like you got to have some courage of conviction to be ready to like debate Anthony, or just like a s security to be able to just let something go. Yeah, I or just bang your head on the table until he stops talking. Yeah, you. But uh, yeah, I, thanks I for listening, that. guys. Oh, no. Did you want to say something? No, I'm good. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you liked this show, you can go on podcasts and uh, and leave us a nice little review. It's it's not iTunes anymore. So go on podcasts. Uh, say nice things about me. If you want to say nice things about Harrison, too, you can do that. Uh, but I think the former is more important. And uh, Your application for a raise has been denied. <laughs> <laughs> and we will uh, see you all again next week.